0: This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDI. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together.
1: Lying on your back in the garage. You can't see a thing, except for the clear blue sky. A few cotton wool clouds. Higher and higher in the great dome of the sky. Filling it with sun. Higher and higher. They sound quite mad, don't they? It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it?
2: Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems in the form of energy through our sensory systems, and then it explodes. And in this moment, we are perfect, we are home, and we are, perfect, and we are, perfect, and we are whether you experience heaven or hell, remember that it is your mind which creates you. Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory it's in the form of energy. And in this moment, we are perfect, we are home, and we are human. Whether you experience heaven or hell, remember that it is your mind which creates love. Another public service message. We care about
0: your world. So what I was thinking is that because it's Christmas morning, that this will be kind of like an adult version of getting to uh, open presents underneath the tree.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And isn't this also a fundraiser as well? It is. I like the idea that, and here I'm just, you know, twisting the word fundraising, that we're going to raise a little fun you know, and give a little fun as kind of a a Christmas present to the audience.
0: Exactly. And also to give them an opportunity to give us a present as well.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So I have Rick Halterman joining me on this Christmas morning, and we're going to be doing a special poetry reading show. We're going to focus predominantly on reading poetry, and and we'll talk about giving since it is our end-of-the-year fundraiser. And perhaps a little bit of about why we're doing it, and I'm excited to do this because we have not done much or any poetry in the last few conversations we've had. That's correct. So, Merry Christmas to you, Tonio. How's it feel? Um, Merry Christmas to you. It's um, it's a nice opportunity to do something a little special on the air, knowing that people are probably in their living rooms, sitting around their Christmas tree, opening up presents. They may or may not have kids in the mix opening up presents. I think Christmas really is a holiday for kids especially because kids really love and anticipate, you know, waking up early on Christmas morning and going downstairs or or just getting to the tree and, and pulling out the presents and, and looking for the ones that are for them and, and hoping that they got what they want. And and there's just such a magic in getting to enjoy something like that. It's It's really a, a wonderful, magical experience for kids. Unfortunately, on the adult level, it can be quite stressful and has become quite a, a consumerist thing. But, you know, that's the way of the world these days. <laughs>
3: There's a tingling, I think, at least that's the sensation I had, and the word that you had used in our correspondence prior to today was the word wonder, and in the show I did last week, that became my theme, and there was that sense of wonder of, you know, certainly as a kid, I mean, I remember once in my grandmother's house, this was in Englewood, New Jersey, and looking up at the sky on Christmas Eve, and we really wondered, would there be any possibility that we could possibly see Santa and the reindeer doing the rounds? And then, of course, the wondering of the presents and the tingling. And now I guess maybe as an adult, the way I translate it, you know, on those cold mornings, it'll be so cold. And what little moisture is in the air is freezing. So there, it's almost like these little crystal flakes are floating down in the sunlight. And it just is magic everywhere.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are times when the environmental conditions are just right. And another really magical thing about Christmas Day is that everyone's home. The kids are home, and everyone can finally relax and settle down and fully allow themselves to enjoy the moment together.
3: Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I have a poem from our current poet laureate of the United States, Joy Harjo, and the name of the poem is keeps. And here's the poem. Sun makes the day new. Tiny green plants emerge from earth. Birds are singing the sky into place. There is nowhere else I want to be but here. I lean into the rhythm of your heart to see where it will take us. We gallop into a warm southern wind. I link my legs to yours and we ride together toward the ancient encampment of our relatives. Where have you been, they ask? And what has taken you so long? That night after eating, singing, and dancing, we lay together under the stars. We know ourselves to be part of mystery. It is unspeakable. It is everlasting. It is for keeps. Isn't that lovely?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think part of the Christmas thing it was really not until I got older that I could start appreciating this idea was, of course, you know, in relation to the solstice that just took place, that there was this turn from the days getting shorter and shorter. Now they can start getting longer again. And of course, the metaphor of how do we allow more light into our lives? And certainly, if one is wants to approach it from a religious perspective, that it was the birth of this particular being that brought a new kind of light in terms of whether it was forgiveness, love, whatever term you want to use, that was going to create a, you know, a possibility of whether redemption, salvation for the world.
0: And Christmas morning is a perfect time to be reflecting on something like that.
3: Yeah. Well, you're coming from a different religion. What were the things that you all were reflecting during this time of year, because this is the time of Hanukkah?
0: Well, we weren't religious at all. So we didn't celebrate any of those things when I was a child.
3: And how has that evolved in the course of your growing up in terms of this time of year?
0: Well, it depends on where I was living and who I was living with, unless you have children. Because if you have children, then it's a wonderful joy to give to them because you know how much it means to them. And you can see how (laughs) much joy. (laughs) Yeah, they just love it. And it's one of the wonderful ways that we can express our love to children. And it's also a wonderful way that we can express love to each other. But when it becomes an obligation, then I think it takes a lot of the joy out of it.
3: Oh, yeah, well, it just becomes, you know, one of those old rituals that we do whether we like it or not.
0: Right. But hopefully this year you know, particularly during this time of the pandemic, that people are infusing this morning, this day, this holiday, with a greater sense and depth of meaning?
3: I think you're probably right. My hope would be that there might be a little more inner reflection and perhaps a little more gratitude for the things that we do have.
0: And there's a bittersweet aspect to Christmas this year because of the hardships. And even if we ourselves may not be experiencing any hardship, we know other people who are experiencing it. And we know that there are lots of people all over the world that are experiencing great hardship. So in a way, I think it's a really beautiful thing to have those different, what may seem contradictory elements, contrasting each other in the same moment. And i I don't think it's it's really a contradiction. I think it's, it's actually much more of the nature of life, that there are these different, very different elements, very different aspects of experiencing the world, all happening at least somewhat simultaneously. Yeah. So would you read
3: a poem? There's that Alberto Rios poem, since you were talking about giving. I'd love to hear that.
0: Well, actually, I will read that, but I was actually thinking of reading another one that I think you'll like. I don't know who it's by, and I don't know the title of it, but it's what came to mind when you read that poem from Joy Harjo. So here it is. If I said that my love for you was like the spaces between the notes of a Wren's song, would you understand? Would you perceive my love to be therefore hardly present, almost nothing? Or would you feel how my love is wrapped around the richest and wildest song? And if I said my love for you is like the time when the nightingale is absent from our twilight world, would you hear it as a silence, nothing, no love? Or as an anticipation of that rich current of music which fills the heart, soul, body, mind? And if I said my love for you is like the hair's breath, would you feel it to be transient, so slight a thing, or would you see it as life-giving, wild, a thing that fills the blood and sets the hair running?
3: Hmm. That's lovely. I love how you know the the space opens up when it talks about the love. The silence between notes, that's beautiful, Tonio.
0: I found it on the Brain Pickings website or blog. Oh,
3: okay, yeah. Maria Popova, is that her name?
0: Yeah, and it's a wonderful resource.
3: I don't know if I've read this in one of our previous conversations. It would have been quite some time ago. This is Naomi Shehab Knives, which goes back to the love that you were mentioning in the last poem, but this time it's not so much about intimate love, but more sort of a love about humanity. And it's a prose poem, and it's called Gate A4. And it's a little lengthy, but it's just that there are times I cry when I read this poem. So Gate A4, wandering around the Albuquerque Airport terminal after learning my flight had been delayed for four hours, I heard an announcement, quote, If anyone in the vicinity of Gate A4 understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately, end quote. Well... One pauses these days. Gate A4 was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service person. Talk to her. What's her problem? We told her the flight was going to be late, and she did this. I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke to her haltingly. Dawa, Shubidak, Habibti, Midfalik, The minute she heard any word she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, no, we're fine. You'll get there just later. Who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son, and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and would ride next to her, southwest. She talked to him. Then we called her other sons just for the fun of it. Then we called my dad, and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had ten shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took up about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling about her life, patting my knee, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts, out of her bag and was offering them to all of the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, We were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out free beverages from huge coolers, and two little girls from our flight ran around serving us all apple juice, and they were covered with powdered sugar, too. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag some medicinal thing with green furry leaves Such an old country tradition. Always carry a plant. Always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around that gate of late and weary ones, and I thought, this is the world I want to live in. The shared world. Not a single person in that gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women, too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost.
0: I love that. That's such a beautiful poem.
3: Isn't that great? Such a beautiful See story. How the world can still find ways to connect and maybe the least likely of situations and find that there is really a shared humanity. And maybe that's part of this crazy time we're going through that there is a shared humanity and you know just by sharing in that and maybe who knows talking to each other over the phone you know about experiences however we can do it that there a new kind of closeness may come through in fact it was my sister who reminded me oh i think a month or so ago my father was born during the last pandemic which was so fascinating and Obviously, he did fine. He lived a wonderful long life. He's no longer with us. And I'm thinking, in fact, my partner right now is in California, and she's with her daughter, who's about to give birth as well. Wow. And I thought, wow, what a holiday. In the middle of all this, it's Christmas, and she's expecting on the 28th, so, of course, it could happen any time. And I'm thinking, wow, here's that birth again. Here's this new life.
0: And what an amazing example of the juxtaposition of the circumstances that we're living in today all this chaos around the election and around the pandemic and yet all these magical experiences of experiencing and re-experiencing our shared humanity together
3: yeah and you know how life persists regardless of you know what whatever we're hearing on the news and it doesn't matter what, which news source you're subscribing to, but there's such a, I think this is how news is. It really wants to grab and hold our attention. And sometimes it's a matter, for me at least, I have to pry myself away from that, go out in the woods snowshoeing, for instance, go swimming laps, where I can separate myself from that part of the world and then somehow be reconnected with what I would consider the natural world. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what happened in that last poem as well, that... They could even in the midst of all of this kind of civilization, airport terminals and you know in schedules and all these sorts of things mechanical breakdowns they, they still found a way to connect to the natural world of connecting with each other How beautiful
0: and how interesting that it requires a kind of a crisis to give birth to something as beautiful as that
3: yeah. Uh, Maybe, and is it because crisis puts us back on our toes and maybe, you know, the appreciation of whatever we might have in our lives can become more prevalent?
0: Yeah, something like that. A crisis jolts us out of our kind of mindless complacency or our default mode of taking everything for granted. Yeah. And listening to the reruns of our old narrative over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Tony,
3: that's great. And yesterday I read a poem on my show by Tony Hoagland, and it's one that for some reason doesn't appear in his books, or maybe I just haven't found it because I do have all his books. But anyhow, this is from Poetry Magazine, and it talks about this very thing, you know, like how do we get present again in the moment so that we can start to appreciate and the name of the poem is Volunteer. So here it is. Now is not the moment to be rounded off by a turn-of-the-century childhood memory or the expiration of your favorite aunt, not the occasion to elucidate a painting by Degas. I'm not suggesting that we pass the law against the past or try to close a factory responsible for making sense, only that it might be nice to wallow in the present for a while, It might be practical to occupy the molecules in the very nether surface of your fingertips at the instant they make contact with a cold doorbell or a warm girl. Do you agree? All the time we've saved since we stopped praying for our souls hasn't filled the hole inside the human gut, hasn't stopped the human nervous system from being very nervous. But maybe if we listen very hard we can find the point of intersection the precise frequency and wavelength where history stops repeating its directions and leaves some room to breathe it is a simple task just the job on any given day of raising the whole world above your head one aspirin one teacup one traffic ticket at a time the way a volunteer might raise his hand to apply for evolution even though it means the possible extinction of his former personality, even though it means replacing what is right in front of you with what is right in front of you again and again with a vigorous persistence until the moment and the room seem to run together in the composition of a country you could stand to serve. Oh, Lord, allow me to continue to preach your gospel of rock and roll among the deaf And dear, defeated creatures of the heart shield us from the fear which translates as fatigue, retrain our minds from their unhappiness, and make our lives a theater for many strange delights, for which we'll twist and shout and sometimes even sing as if we didn't know the meaning of the word responsibility, or as if part of our responsibility belonged to joy."
0: Yeah, that was perfect.
3: <laughs> Isn't that great? I had a friend who called when I'd read that on the air, and, and actually it was a woman who had um, had edited my book, and she's a poet, and she is just a great admirer of poetry, and she said, I think that's the best one that he's ever done. And it really, you know, his whole style is in there and how he can get into all these lovely places. And I just love how he'll use just common language to really describe very complex ideas. And they don't even have to be that complex, like simply being present, like as he points out in the poem, let's lose the old personality to discover what the new
0: one might be. And it's an aspect of giving. And the first line in this giving poem is one river gives its journey to the next. Yes. And how one experience, if we're present, gives itself to the next. Or we can be present with that movement of flowing, flowing from one moment to the next and giving ourselves into the next moment.
3: And there's that sort of, for me, this very idea that you're describing is when that tingling sensation can take place inside my body. of Like, oh, I've actually done something new and I can feel it. And there's an excitement. Even if it turns into a catastrophe, it's still something new.
0: Yeah, I think what you're talking about is the energetic experience of being in the present moment Yes. when we are actually aligned with the universe yes. aligned with the energy of the universe and we can feel yeah. it, we can feel it in our own body.
3: So when you, for instance, are conducting an interview and you know you can feel that things are really flowing beautifully What's the sensation that happens inside of you when that moment occurs, or are you so embroiled in the interview that you're really more focused on the interview than like oh here's this other experience happening inside my body
0: oh I'm just immersed in in the experience of the interview I'm not reflecting on it every once in a while I'll st- <laughs> you know I'll have that I'll have a moment where I step outside of it and just acknowledge that wow this interview is going amazingly well. In a way, that's, that's missing out on the interview for that moment.
3: <laughs> yes, I know, I know what you mean. And since you had mentioned that poem about giving, do you want to go ahead and read that, the Alberto Rios
0: poem? Okay, yeah, it's a good time to do that. And also, it's a wonderful opportunity for our listeners to think about giving because it is our end-of-the-year fundraiser, and we're trying to raise $50,000 which is actually more than we've ever tried to raise before because this radio station is going through a whole new evolutionary phase from being owned by the college here. And it's in the process of being gifted to the community because the college can no longer afford to run it and pay for, you know, take financial responsibility for the station anymore because it's going through, it's been going through massive financial challenges, as are many small colleges. So it's going to take a few months and some legal hoops to jump through, but we're going to become a community owned and run and for the community radio station.
3: So there's something beautiful in that, Tonyo, in the sense that for those people that are considering and and can be kind enough to be able to give some funding for the station. It's a real investment in the future.
0: It certainly is. It's an investment in the future, and it's also an investment into the now, because going into this fundraiser, we only had enough money to keep us on the air until the end of this month, which is like a week away. Wow. And so far, it's my understanding that we've raised about $34,000.
3: Well, congratulations.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. So we still need to raise another $16,000, and we're going to need all of you out there to pitch in. And you can do that by going to wgdr.org and making a secure donation online or sending us a check in the mail to WGDR 123 Pitkin Road, Plainfield, Vermont, 05667. And it's a very challenging time because many people are struggling financially, and there are probably many people who have given in the past who are unable to at this time because they've lost their job or their business is in a state of limbo. And as we know, Congress has been unable to pass a new stimulus package since this spring. So many people are really hurting financially. But there are also people out there who are doing quite well, who are not suffering adversely, at least financially, from the pandemic. And maybe those people, you know who you are, (laughs) Mm. you could give extra, you know, to make up for what others are unable to give at this time. And because the station is at a make or break point in our history at this time, now is, is a particularly important time to make a donation, a generous, an unusually generous donation if you're able, you know, to open your heart as you open your wallet, so to speak. So please go to wgdr.org and click on that donate button and make a, make a generous donation to the future of this particular local community radio station. And then after that, We will settle down into a more routine, manageable level of fundraising where we'll probably be trying to raise about $30,000 twice a year in order to pay the bills around here, which we're going to pare down the uh, staffing and the logistical running of the station, the costs of running the station, to a more manageable level that we can maintain as a community But I think this is is actually very doable, and it's a wonderful new phase for the station to become a real, true community station. So here's that poem by Alberto Rios. It's titled, When Giving is All We Have. One river gives its journey to the next. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We have been better for it. We have been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It is loud and quiet, big though small. Its story is old, the plot worn, and the pages too. But we read this book anyway over and over again. Giving is, first and every time, hand to hand, mine to yours, yours to mine. You give me blue, and I give you yellow. Together we are simple green. You gave me what you did not have, and I gave you what I had to give. Together we made something greater from the difference.
3: Yeah, isn't that beautiful?
0: That is such a beautiful poem.
3: I particularly love that last line, together we made something greater from the difference. Isn't that beautiful?
0: It is. Not only is the combination of things greater than the sum of its parts, but it's also made greater from the difference between them.
3: Yes. Yes. The world has, in fact, or the universe has, in fact, expanded because of that giving.
0: Exactly. And it's more than just a giving. It's a receiving of difference, you know, opening ourselves to that. And it's a giving and a receiving at the same time, because when we give that openness to the world, it opens up ourselves from inside, which allows us to receive.
3: Yeah, In fact, I have a poem here. This is one that that I happen to have in the book, but it just seems so appropriate for right now. It's written by Tess Gallagher, and the name of the poem is called The Hug. A woman is reading a poem on the street, and another woman stops to listen. We stop, too, with our arms around each other. Suddenly, a hug comes over me, and I'm giving it to you like a variable star shooting light off to make itself comfortable, then subsiding. I finish, but keep holding you. A man walks up to us, and we know he hasn't come out of nowhere, but if he could, he would have. He looks homeless because of how he needs. Quote, can I have one of those? End quote, he asks you. And I feel you nod. I'm surprised. Surprised you don't tell him how it is. That I'm yours, only yours. Exclusive as a nose to its face. Love. That's what we're talking about. Love that nabs you with, for me only, and holds on. So I walk over to him and put my arms around him and try to hug him like I mean it. He's got an overcoat on so thick I can't feel him past it. I'm starting the hug and thinking, how big a hug is this supposed to be? How long shall I hold this hug? Already we could be eternal his arms falling over my shoulders, my hands not meeting behind his back. He is so big. I put my head into his chest and snuggle in. I lean into him. I lean my blood and my wishes into him. He stands for it. This is his, and he's starting to give it back so well, I know he's getting it. This hug. So truly, so tenderly, we stop having arms, and I don't know if my lover has walked away or what or if the woman is still reading the poem clearly a little permission is a dangerous thing but when you hug someone you want it to be a masterpiece of connection the way the button on his coat will leave the imprint of a planet on my cheek when I walk away when I try to find some place to go back to
0: yeah that's so wonderful
3: so there's that same thing of something new evolves through this, well, really taking kind of a chance, you know, and she really wants to, she wants to deliver that hug for whatever reason, and she really wants to make that connection, and then she realizes that, wow, it took her to a place she never even imagined.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wanted to totally immerse herself into the authenticity of that experience. Yeah. To fully give herself into that. That experience
3: it goes back to what I think what you were talking about earlier, Tonio. If we can be that present to get so fully immersed, there's, of course, you know, there's the unknown part of as far as so what's really happening here, rather than me just falling back on my old beliefs and patterns. But also, there's the risk of so what will actually come out of this if I'm fully present and immersed and really commit myself to whatever this experience is happening right here, right now with me.
0: Exactly. That's where the magic can happen. And it and it doesn't mean that it will. But if we don't take that risk, there's no opportunity for it to happen.
3: Yeah. Doesn't this fall back kinda to like Charles Dickens, you know, a Christmas carol that Scrooge had gotten so caught up with his money and his distance and treating people poorly and all. And it wasn't until he was shown the past, the present, and the possible future and really shown in a very visceral way what was going to happen that he could then take the risk of really opening up his heart and saying, oh, well, it just feels so much better to be in the world this way.
0: Yeah, and in that story, he's shown what he is missing, and what he has been missing, and what others, no matter how poor they may be, or how much he has learned to look down upon, that they are experiencing something much richer and much more life-giving, life-affirming, and delicious than anything he has been experiencing.
3: It's really a classic theme in literature that that, but we, we see it also in you know film, in the arts in general, which is there's the false belief that having financial riches to bolster one's sense of self-esteem and self-worth through finances is going to get you further in the world than having the riches of just the purity and the gorgeousness of love.
0: Or being in control.
3: Yeah. Being attached, yes.
0: Or just being in total control of one's life circumstances, Mm -hmm. which also has the effect of blocking out other possibility.
3: Yeah. Yeah, just like in the poem that I had read, which was that somebody, and I think a lot of times, certainly now, if somebody offered that, you know, I want a hug, you know, that would be a very difficult thing to ponder in the course of this pandemic. I mean, I see people hitchhiking here around northern New Mexico, some of them wearing masks, some of them not wearing masks. And I wonder myself, for the person who's not wearing a mask, how much more difficult it will be to get a ride with someone.
0: I would think it would be very difficult to get a ride in general these days. Yeah.
3: But that's an interesting thing, You know, knowing that apparently L.A. now has a million homeless people because of people who have been evicted or, for whatever reason, you know, financially they can't afford to live in a physical residence, that there are a million people on the street in L.A. right now.
0: And I wonder how many of them are, are refugees of the fires that have occurred.
3: Mm-hmm. Great question.
0: You know, in addition to people who have lost their jobs and due to businesses, going out of business or, or whatever that case may be. Yeah. So I have another short poem to follow up what you just shared. Great. Very short. It's E.E. E. Cummings titled Love is a Place. Love is a place and through this place of love move all places. Yes, yes, is a world, and in this world of yes, live all worlds.
3: I love him. <laughs> I <just> love him. <laughs> well, there's what always appears to be this almost like a childlike simplicity, although it always belies something much deeper going on. And he's almost become kind of like the Emily Dickinson more of our time as far as there's that conciseness and really understanding the big picture. And he can say it so beautifully, almost childlike, how he'll write it.
0: Yes, he's a master of simplicity and yet cutting straight to the heart of things.
3: Yes. Well, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful.
0: And I think because it's so short, I'll read it again.
3: Yes, please do.
0: Love is a place, and through this place of love move all places. Yes is a world, and in this world of yes live all worlds. Mm. And I thought that's a particularly beautiful poem for this Christmas morning as well. Particularly, in, I think
3: that is beautiful in this I think time. Isn't that in theory that it was sort of the representation? You know, I tend not to think of the birth of Christ as so much a physical fact. I like to think of these things more metaphorically. And so if it was really sort of reigniting, because love has always been around, but reigniting this idea of love into the world at a time when it was going through its own changes at that moment, you know, 2,000 years ago. that It's like, well, and here to how do we rekindle that every year, maybe even every day in every moment of our lives?
0: Or even make it, a deeper level of experience yes yeah. which is what i think of as his mission and again i i totally agree with you about thinking of it in metaphorical terms rather than in historical terms because when we concretize something in a sense we take the life out of it yeah whereas when we allow it to remain a metaphor or give it the status of a metaphor it has a, a more um, imaginative, mysterious, and magical quality to it. Something that yeah, we can... Yeah,
3: it's like, I guess, maybe in another way that, that I put it is that it's like once you suck the poetry out of it, then it just becomes functional. Mm-hmm. Or, or just a literal translation of something. And I'd much rather have the poetry and the soul still in it to keep it alive.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that's what so wonderful about poetry is poetry has this kind of magical ability to retain its soul.
3: Yeah, yeah. In fact, here's a poem that, that I think you quite liked. There was a chapter I had in the book on imagination and this was an anonymous Eskimo who wrote this poem called Magic Words. And here it is. In the very earliest time when both people and animals lived on Earth a person could become an animal if he wanted to and an animal could become a human being. Sometimes they were people and sometimes animals, and there was no difference. All spoke the same language. That was the time when words were like magic. The human mind had mysterious powers. A word spoken by chance might have strange consequences. It would suddenly come alive, and what people wanted to happen could happen. All you had to do was say it. Nobody could explain this. That's the way it was. And we may still have some of that around now, Tonyo, that, you know, I don't know if I would ever be so present, you know, like those rare, who knows, if I've had one or two moments in my whole life where I've said exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. But you know how that whether it's coming from love or whether it's a very incisive remark, whatever, when it's done at the right time, Like, you can see the world literally changing in front of you, at least to whoever you were talking to at that time. Mm -hmm. There's like a whole energetic field opens up when those right words, and I think that's what our great poets do for us. They give us the right words so that even to the point where, remember when Percy Bush Shelley had said the poets were the unacknowledged legislators of the world, they can already anticipate what is coming on the horizon because they are so open to whatever presence is happening all around them, all these other energies, and they have that ability to filter those energies and articulate them into a poem. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, who was it, William Butler Yeats? Almost exactly, I think, a hundred years ago that he did The Second Coming, and he was talking how the center can no longer hold and things are falling apart, and that is I mean to me, it's so prescient that here we are a hundred years later, in almost and you know a very similar kind of moment. Because mm-hmm. we really don't have a center. The old paradigm is clearly collapsing. We have climate change going on, all this insanity with politics, all this sort of stuff. And then I think there's a real longing like, you know, when I talk to people about the current pandemic, there's still, I know certain people are like, well, when are we going to get back to normal? And I just look at them and I will articulate and just say,
0: forget about that
3: because everything's already changed.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there is any normal anymore.
3: When my son was born, I knew the whole world had changed in terms of the responsibilities and who I was from that moment on so i think we all have and of course it's, it varies from person to person but those moments where we know whether it's something that we said something that was said to us or some physical activity took place where we know everything has just changed and we can't even possibly comprehend the enormity of it at that moment i think that happens, say on a oh, say a large collective way say for instance when nine eleven took place with those attacks in New York City and elsewhere in the country, that we knew that I don't know maybe a piece of our innocence or our naivete you know had to be taken away because it's like, well, this is now a new world when it's happening on our own soil
0: right. I've heard stories like that of people's responses when JFK was assassinated. Yeah that that was like the first real dramatic shattering of our American illusion of security and kind of sense of magical exceptionalism or or being totally insulated and safe in our part of the world. Yeah. So we have yeah, so it's
3: interesting there are those pictures from the New York Times pictures from the whole year which were amazing and some of those pictures like seeing the daughter hugging her grandmother through a plastic sheet that there was a very real reality to this, or, like, right in the actual room in the hospital with somebody who's being put on a ventilator, things like that. And there was something quite visceral, of like, oh, my little comfort zone of, you know, like, going out and snowshoeing in the woods or something has now been completely opened up to, wow, there are some people really going through some real, real, real stuff right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then, of course, it's a great opportunity for me to send prayers, to do whatever, so that, well, let me put it this way, I don't want to make the situation any worse than it has to be, because some people, as you pointed out, are really struggling right now.
0: Yeah, I think there's great love and wisdom and compassion in not doing harm. Yes. And being mindful of the potential harm that we can have upon the world, even inadvertently.
3: And I think what you're expressing is so beautiful Tonio because that would be back to this love that we're talking about and maybe this energy that that this time of year is you know here to remind us of how can we be more loving as we go out in the world rather than coming from a different place that does not promote that or actually might detract from that very idea
0: and perhaps infuse more of our life with the spirit of giving Mm -hmm. rather than just on Christmas day or for the Christmas holiday and giving not so much as giving things or presents to other people, but giving in a deeper, more metaphorical way, giving of what we sense is most needed in any situation and being mindful to think about or feel into what is needed, whether it's the person in front of us, or the situation that we're in. And instead of thinking in terms of what do I need, and what can I get out of this, rather, what can I give into this? How can I make this better? How can I serve, yeah, and this, this wonderful line or concept, how can I better serve life in mm-hmm. this situation or in this moment?
3: Yeah, and another angle on this very same idea is that if one has done whatever inner work inside, and hopefully we're all doing that to whatever extent is necessary, it's actually, it's our presence in the world, Mm
2: -hmm. that
3: we are being who we truly are, we're being honest, we're being authentic, and that we can step up in the very way you just described.
0: Yes, and I think it requires our being in that state of presence within ourselves to be in that kind of metaphorical portal state where we are connected to everything else.
3: Yeah. In fact, I have a poem here from Lisa Mueller which is this has to do with the painter Monet. and This addresses this very idea. The name of the poem is Monet refuses the operation. Doctor, you say there are no halos around the streetlights in Paris and what I see is an aberration caused by old age and affliction. I tell you, it has taken me all my life to arrive at the vision of gas lamps as angels, to soften and blur and finally banish the edges you regret I don't see, to learn that the line I call the horizon does not exist, and sky and water so long apart are the same state of being. Fifty-four years before I could see Rouen is built of parallel shafts of sun. And now you want to restore my youthful errors, fixed notions of top and bottom, the illusion of three-dimensional space, wisteria separate from the bridge it covers. What can I say to convince you the Houses of Parliament dissolve night after night to become the fluid dream of the Thames? I will not return to a universe of objects that don't know each other, as if islands were not the lost children of one great continent. The world is flux, and light becomes what it touches, becomes water, lilies on water, above and below water, becomes lilac and mauve and yellow and white and cerulean lamps, small fifths passing sunlight so quickly to one another that it would take long, streaming hair inside my brush to catch it, to paint the speed of light. Our weighted shapes, these verticals, burn to mix with air and change our bones, skin, clothes to gases. Doctor, if only you could see how heaven pulls earth into its arms and how infinitely the heart expands, To claim this world, blue vapor, without end.
0: Mm, There's so many beautiful evocative lines in that one.
3: Oh, isn't it lovely? Yeah, Liesl (laughs) Mueller, she's fantastic. But there is that idea of that Monet, he had become so himself. The literal world was trying to impose itself on his vision. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to give up this vision because this vision is much closer to how the world really lives and breathes.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Not as separate parts, but as a living entity.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And painting at the speed of light. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Isn't that, that was like me wishing I could do this maybe once or twice in my life, that I could say the right thing at the right time to the right person or even to the trees out in the forest, that if I could be that fast? Yep. In fact, as we're talking, I'm going to look up a poem, which is a short Christmas poem, but it's exactly this very idea. Only take me a second. You know, I have all these notebooks of all these poems from all these years. If I can find it. (laughs) Why don't you say something as um, because I know it only it won't take long for me to get to it.
0: Well, I could read something. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, this is from Audrey Lord. The quality of light by which we scrutinize our lives has direct bearing upon the product which we live, and upon the changes which we hope to bring about through our lives. It is within this light that we form those ideas by which we pursue our magic and make it realized. This is poetry as illumination, for it is through poetry that we give name to those ideas which are, until the poem, nameless and formless, about to be birthed, but already felt, that distillation of experience from which true poetry springs, births thought as dream births concept, as feeling births idea, as knowledge births understanding.
3: And what's the title of that poem,
0: Tonio? That's not actually a poem. Oh. But Audre Lorde is a poet as well as a writer of prose. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't In fact, it? would you mind reading that again? <laughs> of course. The quality of light by which we scrutinize our lives has direct bearing upon the product which we live and upon the changes which we hope to bring about through our lives. It is within this light that we form those ideas by which we pursue our magic and make it realized. This is poetry as illumination, for it is through poetry that we give name to those ideas which are, until the poem, nameless and formless, about to be birthed but already felt that distillation of experience from which true poetry springs, births thought as dream, births concept as feeling, births idea, as knowledge births understanding.
3: Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I have this Christmas poem, but I'm going to hold on to this for a second because you mentioned this idea of, like, how does it evolve out of a dream? Here's a short poem from Red Hawk, and it's called Raven's Last Dream. And there's a lovely sense of humor in here, but they have, the poem is, Raven was in a deep sleep, dreaming the world. He saw things, and they happened. He dreamed things, and they came to life. He hardly knew where to begin or what to do once the world was. At last, he understood fodder's dilemma. It troubled him, made him restless, disturbed his sleep. Then the terrible thing happened. He had a thought. (laughs) Everything dream, he wonder. Then the worst thing happened. He had another thought. One thought following the other. Who dreaming raven, he wonder. And this woke him up. He looked up. He looked down. He looked all around. Don't know, he say. And he couldn't get back to sleep.
0: Here's a line from Virginia Woolf. Life is a dream. Tis waking that kills us. (laughs) He who robs us of our dreams robs us of our life.
3: Yes. Now I will read that Christmas poem because it really does sort of fit in here. So here's the poem. On Christmas Day, 1970 a small English girl from Hampstead near London, walked several miles in sub-zero weather to see the children's cartoon show at the Hampstead Cinema. But when she got there, it was closed. The manager of the cinema happened to pass by, and he saw the little girl crying and frozen almost blue. He asked her why she was crying. She told him, and he took out his keys, and they went in, and he seated her in the empty stalls and went into the projection room, and the show was on. That day, he was the fastest man on earth. Isn't that great? That's, you know, once again, to be able to respond so perfectly to a moment.
0: Yeah, that's why I couldn't say anything, because I was on that edge of tears. <laughs>
3: The fastest man on earth. I mean, and it was great because I remember, did you ever watch the Superman TV show when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. And wasn't that part of his namaker was that he was, you know, the fastest man on earth?
0: Well, he was faster than a speeding bullet.
3: That's right. Faster than a speeding bullet. And I loved how in this poem he switched it up to say that, you know, just by doing an ordinary act, one can become The fastest person on earth.
0: By responding, by being free enough and open enough and open-hearted enough to respond to her desire in that moment. He was the fastest man on earth because he didn't allow anything in the way of him actually doing that.
3: Yes, that's it. And I think that's part of certainly, you know, all the Christmas stories that we hear is that when all of the things can be taken out of the way, it really does just come down to this loving and however it might be expressed towards the world and towards yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And here's a line from John Keats. I am certain of nothing but the holiness of the heart's affections and the truth of the imagination.
3: Yeah, that is so gorgeous.
0: And the last three or four interviews I've done have been in this realm of imagination and creativity and how it connects with the essence of life and growing and dealing with all the issues that we face in this world, in our lives and the power well, I,
3: I believe wasn't uh, wasn't einstein who said that imagination was the preview of life's coming attractions something like that
0: he said something but i thought it was something like imagination is far more valuable than any other faculty i don't remember exactly what it was but it was it was a very powerful affirmation of the value and significance of imagination over the things we usually consider to be more important in this material, scientific world.
3: Yeah, the literal world. And I know it's sort of sad, and we, you and I have talked about this in our previous conversations, how a lot of that imagination seems to be getting weaned out of education.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's always been weaned out of education, at least to a large degree, but now it's being completely... Extracted, all traces of it are being extracted from education.
3: Yeah. It, you know, it's like when we think again about Christmas Day, if we just want to talk about a literal event, that to me, that, you know, there's something just in, from a historical point of view, but I remember how Joseph Campbell once had said, you know, the problem with religions is that when they just resort to just historical facts at that point and they lose the metaphor in, in essence. He says, then they are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's the story of our lives, too. You know, when people want to get hung up on, you know, like I remember I was, I was hearing something, and this was with a fellow noetic practitioner, and he was talking about destiny moments. I was like, well, that sounds like identity to me. And yes, things can change, but I don't need to keep going back to that same moment, say, when a relationship ended. I'm far more interested in, have I learned anything since that time because of that event?
0: Or, Have I grown? Right, or when I go back to the memory of that moment, do I discover something completely new about it?
3: Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It was a few years ago, I was visiting my mother back east, and she was, I think, turning 92, and she wanted me to take her to the driver's license bureau to renew her license, and it all went well. And as I sat there, I was looking across the street And there was this building where I used to go in at age 10 every Wednesday. It was a Wednesday afternoon after school. i had had swimmers here, and I would go down these steps, and this doctor was not in the least bit compassionate. And he was always, of course, probing inside my ear, and I had an infection, all that. Even one time he even threatened me with physical violence. He was going to hit me because he wanted to stuff a tube, which he'd done once before about six or eight inches up my nose, and as a kid I couldn't bear it. And so interesting, when I sat there and I was looking at those steps, and there was this utter neutrality of looking at it again and going, oh, wow, that was then, but it's not now.
0: And an example for me, I reflect back on a relationship that I had many, many years ago, a very, very challenging relationship in which I felt like I was literally in hell For a period of about nine months, you know, fluctuating in and out between heaven and hell. But the moments of hell were very often and devastating. And reflecting back on it, you know, feeling those moments where I felt this complete loss of the love that I so cherished and was missing. And while reflecting on it, I actually got to experience all the love that was actually there. Oh, how beautiful! Surrounding that that moment of, of despair and confusion and sense of loss.
3: And was there a bunch of work that took place for you to get to this other perspective?
0: Yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> decades of life. Beats you right up, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was there was a lot of self reflection and and desire desire to to make something more meaningful out of my life experience than just a history of calamity and despair. You know, along the lines of of what Viktor Frankl wrote about so beautifully.
3: And I love that idea. I mean, I sometimes wonder, and tell me if, if this resonates with you or not, that this whole process of living is in a sense... Wearing us down to become who we really are.
0: Yes. I think that's a beautiful notion that you could look at life as being half of our life is creating all these stories, and then the second half of our life is unraveling them to get back yeah. to where we began in the first place.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that lovely? Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, there's another Tony Hoagland poem that I have here. And it's called Better Than Expected. And this is kind of where we are in the conversation. The poem is, things were not as bad as I had thought. The scrape in the fender of the rented car could be hidden with a little white paint before I returned it to the agency. The CD of New Age music, which I disliked at first, with its synthetic wind of pulsing jellyfish, does a remarkable job of slowing down my heart. Merely to have survived to this point, is already the most unlikely triumph to still be breathing and trying to improve things are definitely better than expected i'm not on trial for anything i've given up on the idea of great success the oncologist says the x-ray shows no quote-unquote abnormalities you know tony had pancreatic cancer so this is quite real what he's writing about we're always trying to come to a decision Always in a place where we are making up our minds whether the soup is good, the flowers pretty, whether we are fortunate or poor. All my life I have been loved by women, held up by water, ignored by war. I have outlasted the voluntary numbness I required to remain alive. Why shouldn't I be able? Why shouldn't I be able now? to walk down the street under the overhanging trees and raise my arms and say that the rain shaking down from the leaves is not an inconvenience, but a joy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tony Hoagland yeah, love, is pretty amazing.
3: It is amazing when you think, and you know, he was still writing even during, I think he had this cancer for a good couple years, and he was still cranking out wonderful poems, and mentioning sometimes casually, sometimes not so casually, this wild experience he was going through, but not really elevating it like he needed to be treated specially because yeah. he figured everybody else was going through their thing too.
0: Or to feel sorry for oneself about it. Yeah, yeah, Yes. Always an opportunity to turn the lead into gold or, or turn the... Uh, the manure into something fertile.
3: Yeah, lemons into lemonade. Yep. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing. And do you think that this day, you know, this Christmas day, is a great day for people to reflect on? In fact, there was a, a Diana Krall version of "Count Your Blessings" that I played on my show this past week. That is this a good time for people to be counting their blessings?
0: Well, according to some people, every moment is a great time to count one's blessings,
3: yeah,
0: especially when when we're feeling a lack of blessings, that perhaps all we're really lacking is our imagination and our recognition of all the blessings that are surrounding us mm-hmm. or that actually are
3: and you know, I think connected to that imagination piece, tonio is that. I can remember once when my son was about six or seven, he says, Rick, I'm bored. And, and I told him, and I wasn't trying to be mean, but I said, you know, that sounds like a personal problem because <laughs> he, he wanted it to be my responsibility to make sure he wasn't bored. And what it really came down to was, uh, you know, uh, an essence I was saying, so where's your curiosity? Where's your imagination right now? Because if those are activated, you will never be bored. So, you know, from that imagination point of view, Here's um, a poem from Morton Marcus. He has since passed away, but his wife was so lovely and gave me permission to use it in my own book. But anyhow, the name of the poem is My Father's Hobby, and I just love the imagination in this. My father's hobby was collecting sneezes. No stamps or coins for him. The stuff of life, he said, of life. My mother and brothers shook their heads. His friends smirked, but he hurt no one was an honest electrician, and everyone eventually shrugged it off as a harmless quirk. As his closest friend, Manny Borak, told my mom, it could be worse. Dad would mount the sneezes on glass slides he carried in his pockets everywhere he went. Some sneezes represented flower petals, others sea foam, amoebas, insect wings, still others fan-shaped, fingerless, foidal hands splatters of raindrops, or empty cocoons. Next, he stained the specimens magenta, turquoise, egg yolk yellow, and placed them in the glass cases that stood in all the rooms. Late at night when the family slept, he'd arrange handfuls of the slides on the light table in his study, and, switching off the lamp, he would peer down at them and smile. One night, a small boy with bad dreams, I crept terrified through the darkened house to the study. He was bent over his collection, his face surrounded by darkness, flowing in the table's light as his lips murmured something again and again. I slid my small hand into his and listened. He was rocking back and forth, bowing to the slides. God bless you, he was saying. God bless.
0: Now I understand why he collects sneezes.
3: Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? <laughs> it is. So he could do—he could bless the planet in this fashion. I thought that is so dear. Mm-hmm. That is so dear. And he found the way that he liked to do it with these goofy little slides.
0: Well, goofy little slides is one way of putting it, but he was putting his heart into it. I mean, totally it's so beautiful.
3: Yeah, so there he was becoming himself in his own unique way. I just love the story of that, that how, how do we, all of us, in the course of our lives, figure out through who we actually are, figure out a way that we can bless the world on a regular basis,
2: mm-hmm.
3: rather than complain about the world. I remember there's a guy from a spiritual group out in California, and, and I love his quote. His name is John Morton, and his quote is, Peace is the cessation of againstness. Mm -hmm. So like there's that line in Jack Gilbert's poem, he says, to make injustice, the only measure of your attention is to praise the devil.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And there's certainly plenty of injustice for us to do work around, but to make that your only measure of attention, and for instance, not to play with a child not to listen to music, not to just breathe in the fresh air out in the woods. That needs to happen, too. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what today is partially about, is we get for a moment to take a break in all of this and reflect and maybe even reset a little bit and say, so how shall I go back out in the world and make this, you know, a really, well, of course, a great experience for us personally, but who knows? maybe go out in the world, not to fix it or even to change it, but to enliven it somehow.
0: Mm-hmm. To add something yeah, beautiful to it. Yeah.
3: And isn't that, I mean, it seems to me that's partly what you are doing with your show right now and of course on all your interviews where your curiosity is what really gets to get activated and you get to ask all these wonderful questions of people to really bring out their ideas, which most people wouldn't even normally encounter their books in the course of their lives.
0: hmm Yeah, I always hope that my sharing these experiences and these interviews will, will add something to the world and to people's lives. But I, I never know if that really is the case. But I always hope that I can share something that's worth something to somebody else.
3: You know, it's the same dilemma I go through, Tonio. that, you know, I'll be doing my radio show, which is, you know, I combine jazz with poetry. And there'll be moments where I'm sitting there by myself, like I might be in tears or going, wow, Rick, you finally got like this one little segue beautifully together, whatever it was. And I never have any idea just like you. Although when I did the show this past week, I don't know, four or five people called, and some who I had no idea who they were, and just say, Rick, we're just so glad you're still doing this, and thank you for bringing this to us um, every week. Mm, how beautiful. So I think we can never imagine, as the person behind the microphone, who may or may not be listening. We will never know, but I do know, you know, it's interesting for me, and I don't know if this is the same for you, that some weeks it really isn't even necessarily the, the music or the poetry that I'm reading. I think people like the familiarity of having my particular voice each week as something constant in their lives.
0: Yeah, we never know.
3: Yeah. There's a gal who calls from down in Española. I think she's in her 70s. Her son just had a heart attack. She lives in a trailer, and she's been in her trailer since March, you know, pretty much sequestered. She's doing fine, and she calls me almost every week just simply to say hi, and she wants to hear me laugh. (laughs) And that's the whole thing. (laughs) So it's interesting how these connections, a lot of them, you know, it's like there's a friend I have from back east, and she's unfortunately had a number of suicides around her in her life. And she was the one who pointed out, she said, Rick, you have no idea how many people are actually impacted. And I think this is the case for a lot of our actions in our own lives, that you say, For instance, it was an ex-husband who had committed suicide, and she said hundreds and hundreds of people were impacted. And, of course, he was in too much despair to even consider that kind of possibility. So I think on the positive side, even, you know, you're having an interview, whatever we do out in the world, in fact, isn't there either a Rumi or a Hafez poem that says, you know, that even though you can't see it, you praying here today will have an impact to someone else on the planet who you will never see
0: right and it's not for us to know the impact yes. that we have on the world or anybody else it's just yeah. for us to do what is in our heart yes. and to trust that it's enough mm-hmm.
3: yeah because otherwise we get stuck into the identity thing of like oh I did a good thing today or something like that and it's like no 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 This is really more just about, you know, like when I meditate every day except for the day I do the radio show, at the end I have a long prayer. And I even have an ongoing list that changes, and in that list are the people that I pray that they may heal, whatever they're going through. Then there are the people that are going through cancer. And the names shift, but I have no idea, like, does this have any impact or not. I don't know. All I'm doing is I'm I'm presenting a thought for the situation and let me put it this way, it can't hurt. So why not? Why
0: not? Yeah.
3: So do you have any other pieces to read for today?
0: Um, I don't know. Why not? I'll just read this this one that you sent me by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And this, it's titled, Don't Let That Horse. <laughs> <laughs> Go right ahead, Tony. I'm looking forward to it. It's not terribly deep, but it's... It's beautiful as it is. Don't let that horse eat that violin, cried Chagall's mother. But he kept right on painting, and became famous, and kept on painting the horse with violin in mouth. And when he finally finished it, he jumped up upon the horse and rode away, waving the violin. And then, with a low bow, gave it to the first naked nude he ran across, and there were no strings attached. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I love stuff like that.
3: Well, and how's that for somebody doing exactly what they, you know, like becoming who they really are and doing what it is that they, you know, is like in that Monet poem, is like, but doctor, this is how I see the
0: world. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It doesn't need to have any pretensions of depth. It can just be itself.
3: And to me, that may be one of the most loving acts we can do is just becoming ourselves and sharing that in the world in whatever way. And it could be just with a prayer. It could be with, like, you know, doing something like on the radio. It could be with a painting. It could be any way at all. It could be just by feeling good in the morning.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not for us to imagine what anybody else might need or want out there and how we can fulfill it.
3: Well, it's definitely not to fix by any means. But at the same time, we have an organization in northern New Mexico which is called the Food Depot, and it originates out of Santa Fe. And, and I contribute to them. You know, they send out these succinct little flyers that say, your $25 will buy 80 meals for people, you know, who are in need in this part of the country. So there it's like, I can afford this. I can do that. And does it make me feel better or anything? No, I just think it's the right thing to do if I have the resources available. And I imagine this would be for your listeners also. If they have the resources available to keep this dear, precious radio station, community radio, alive, it would be a great thing for them to contribute.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. WGDR.org is the place to do it.
3: That's perfect. Do you want to finish
0: there, Tonio? Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed this so much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation.
3: It's been great, Tonio. It's made my day and probably made my holiday. And I, all I can do <laughs> is thank you so much for providing the opportunity to make it happen.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing this with me. And Merry Christmas to you and to everybody.
3: And to you as well.
0: And until next time, and we'll have to do another one like this.
3: Oh, that will be fun. You pick the topic, and we can do our research, and we can just go crazy.
0: And also, feel free to pick a topic yourself, and we can combine topics.
3: Oh, yeah, that would be fun.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I'll work on that. And I won't make it a New Year's resolution, but I will definitely think about it.
0: Oh, yeah. Give yourself all the time in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take
3: care, and Happy New Year to you.
0: And Happy New Year to you, too, and be well. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. And please go to wgdr.org now and make a generous donation to help us achieve the dream of true community radio. And thank you so much. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other.